December 28, 1980. U.S. Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt walked hesitantly down the halls of Bentwaters Air Force Base, a military complex 70 miles northeast of London, England. Halt's heart thumped against his chest. Reporting what he had seen could ruin his career. But he didn't only have his word for it. He also had evidence. He only hoped that would be enough. Halt strode through an office door and found himself facing Colonel Gordon Williams, the U.S. commanding officer of Bentwaters and Woodbridge, the twin Air Force bases. Williams asked Halt if he could put an end to the rumors flying amongst the personnel. Halt cleared his throat. He replied that he had investigated the matter. However, what he'd found would only fuel the stories. Then he handed Williams a cassette tape. For the next 18 minutes, the two men listened to what Halt had recorded the previous night. They heard his voice on the tape saying, one object still hovering over Woodbridge Base at about 5 to 10 degrees off the horizon, still moving erratic. Williams looked at Halt thoughtfully. Either his subordinate was lying or he had recorded proof of an alien encounter on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is our first episode on the Rendlesham Forest incident, which many say is Britain's equivalent to America's infamous UFO sighting in Roswell, New Mexico. Over two nights in 1980, American Air Force officers allegedly spotted multiple extraterrestrial spacecraft, sightings just outside of the twin Air Force bases in eastern England. This time, we'll examine these encounters closely as we listen to the testimonies of both civilian and military witnesses. Next time, we'll delve into the theories surrounding these events. We'll try to discover whether they were an elaborate prank or if aliens actually came to Earth. We'll also look at how the British and American governments reacted to the reports of extraterrestrial activity and what they did to keep that information a secret. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Rendlesham Forest is a scenic and peaceful woodland in Suffolk County on the eastern coast of England. For much of the 20th century, Rendlesham Forest split the distance between Woolbridge and Bentwater's Royal Air Force bases. The complexes were only two miles apart and shared a staff, so soldiers referred to them as the Twin Bases. In 1952, during the early years of the Cold War, the British Air Ministry gave the United States permission to occupy Woodbridge and Bentwater's. The U.S. used these locations to house the 81st Tactical Fighter Wing and operate drills and patrols in Europe. But in 1980, normal operations were interrupted when American servicemen at RAF Woodbridge and RAF Bentwaters apparently saw a UFO. At 3 a.m. on December 26, 1980, U.S. Patrolman John Burroughs and Jim Penniston were walking their regular route by the east entrance of RAF Woodbridge. When they passed the gate, they suddenly noticed colored lights shining through the trees of Rendlesham Forest. They were flickering red, blue, orange, and white. The men gasped as they realized the glowing objects were moving. Suspecting it could be a downed aircraft, Burroughs and Penniston reported the sighting via their radios. Meanwhile, they couldn't help but notice that there was no smell of burning fuel. Airman Edward Cobbensog came to join them. Of the trio, Cobbensog felt the most anxious. He was new to the base, and he worried that the sighting was just a prank. He thought the other two were possibly going to haze him, but as the three men ventured into the woods to investigate, it was clear something was definitely out of the ordinary. Penniston noticed that there was no smell of burning fuel, and in the distance, the airmen could hear animals howling. They assumed the noise came from nearby farmhouses, but they didn't know that the closest farms didn't have any animals. Instead, they were hearing the startled howls of the Montjac deer, also known as the barking deer that lived deep in Rendlesham. As they crept forward, the lights suddenly disappeared. The three men froze in shock, not knowing how to proceed. Finally, they decided that it was better to keep pressing on. They stood up and cautiously passed the tree line into the darkened forest. The following account comes from Jim Penniston. But Burroughs and Cabensag have different perspectives as to what happened. To account for the contradiction between the three men's memories, we'll assume that they split up to cover more ground. Penniston plunged deeper through the trees, searching for the source of the mysterious lights. Finally, something caught his eye. It was a large black object standing in a small clearing. It seemed about 10 feet tall and 10 feet wide, and it loomed over him on three skinny legs. Its body was box-shaped, but it was smooth, as if it was covered in some sort of cloth. With trembling hands, Penniston started taking pictures. Before he knew it, he had used up all his film. He lowered the camera and cautiously stepped forward to take a closer look. As he moved closer, 
Peniston noticed some sort of writing on the peculiar box's surface. He didn't recognize the language, but it reminded him of hieroglyphics, like those used in ancient Egypt. He quickly wrote down what he saw in a notebook. Then, Peniston reached out and touched the object's surface. Whatever the material was made of, it didn't feel like cloth, as Peniston had assumed. Instead, it was hard and smooth, like black glass or obsidian. When he touched the object near the hieroglyphics, the carvings began to glow. Suddenly, a brilliant blue light blazed from the characters blinding him. Peniston jumped back, and the vessel lifted off the ground. Without making a single sound, it flew away, vanishing into the sky. It moved so quickly that it took Peniston's breath away. He shook his head, shocked. He knew that no modern craft could move at such speed. Peniston glanced down at his watch and was startled when he read the time. He had been observing the strange flying machine for about 40 minutes. He knew he needed to find the others and tell them what he'd seen. When Peniston rejoined Cabinsag and Burroughs, he found that neither of them had seen an alien craft. Unsettled, they returned to Bentwaters to report their disturbing findings. Peniston would later say that he left the woods a changed man. The airmen described the otherworldly lights to their superior, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt. However, Peniston thought Halt would laugh him out of the room if he told the full story of what he saw. So he didn't report his experience with the alien craft. Halt believed they'd mistaken a meteor or a rogue police car for something otherworldly. He ordered his men to speak to local law enforcement and investigate the area where the illumination was the strongest. He wanted them to get to the bottom of this mystery before it got out of hand. Peniston led local police and military investigators to the site where he'd seen the strange flying vehicle. He showed them the three holes in the clearing that its feet had left behind. Each one was about 10 inches across and one inch deep. They were laid out in a perfectly equilateral triangle, about eight feet long by eight feet wide. The police noticed that some of the trees in the area were burned or broken. It appeared that something had knocked off entire branches. However, they didn't think it was proof of an extraterrestrial encounter. Though the tree's damage didn't have an immediate explanation, the British police said the holes could be rabbit burrows, which were common in Rendlesham Forest. Unsatisfied, Peniston returned to Bentwaters. When he got there, he discovered the base's photographic lab had finished developing his film from the night before. But even though Peniston had taken a full reel of 36 photographs, not a single one came out as a clear image. Instead, he got back blank, cloudy pictures, impossible to decipher. Peniston was perplexed. It had been a clear night, so the images should have been visible and unobstructed, unless there was some sort of external interference that had damaged the film. The blurry photographs and mysterious lights had all the airmen at the base talking. By midday of December 27, 1980, the twin bases were awash with rumors. Every man was debating the same thing, whether there were UFOs 
in Rendlesham. The gossip was so pervasive, it eventually reached the desk of Colonel Gordon Williams. Neither he nor his subordinate, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt, were pleased that United States Air Force men were chatting about aliens. Fed up with the scuttlebutt of mysterious lights and impossible technology, Halt decided to take matters into his own hands. He decided to personally take over the investigation that night to determine the truth. Halt ordered his men to set up massive floodlights shining into Rendlesham Forest. If anything was in the woods, they would reveal it. With any luck, he'd solve the mystery before word left the twin bases. But little did Halt know that Burroughs and Penniston weren't the only people who saw the strange lights on December 26th. In fact, several civilians witnessed them too. Coming up, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt makes a shocking discovery. Harcasters, you know the world can be chaotic and unpredictable, but how far would you go to turn the tides of favor in your direction? In the newest Spotify original from Parcast, we're taking a closer look at bad omens, good luck charms, and age-old traditions that just might have the power to change our fates. Each episode of Superstitions presents a new drama that unpacks a different belief. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical, unusual, completely illogical. But one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, back to the story. In the early hours of December 26, 1980, in Suffolk, England, three United States Air Force servicemen saw bizarre colored lights shining from Rendlesham Forest. Sergeant Jim Penniston claimed to have examined a hieroglyph-covered craft and even ventured close enough to touch it. But they weren't the only witnesses to these strange sights. Some local English civilians also saw similar glowing objects at the exact same time as the airmen. That same morning, Roy and Marina Webb drove through Suffolk with their young daughter, who we'll call Simone. They were returning home from a holiday family get-together, and the route they took was relatively close to the twin bases. Since it was so late, their car was the only one on the motorway. Not far from Rendlesham Forest, Simone interrupted her parents' drowsy silence when she pointed out a shooting star. The family claimed they looked up and saw a surprisingly bright light in the sky. The adults smiled, nodded, and went back to watching the road. But little Simone kept looking. Eventually, 
she noted that there was something odd about this celestial object. The star wasn't falling. It was hovering in the exact same place. As the webs kept driving, it soon became clear that the strange comet wasn't simply floating in the sky. It was flying parallel to them. The webs drove for miles, and the light continued to move in the same direction. Eventually, Roy decided to pull over to see if that would change its trajectory. But when they drove off the road, the light stopped moving. As the webs watched, the light zoomed up into the sky at an incredible speed and vanished. Confused, the family continued home, unable to process what they had seen. They knew only one thing for sure. No amount of holiday mold wine could have caused such a sight. Around the same time, local resident Jerry Harris reportedly also spotted lights from his house in Woodbridge. According to him, three illuminated objects flew back and forth above Rendlesham Forest. As Jerry watched, two of the star-like dots sped into the distance and vanished. The final one floated above Rendlesham for a long moment before sinking into the woods. In the moment, Jerry suspected he'd seen a plane or a helicopter crash into the wilderness. He turned to go inside, but took one final look at the forest. That's when he saw that final light fly up again from the trees and disappear like its companions into the sky. The night of December 27th, Hours after Jerry Harris spotted the glowing ships, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt was at a holiday party at Woody's Bar in Woodbridge. Suddenly, Lieutenant Bruce England, an American junior officer from the Twin Bases, burst into the bar. He rushed up to Halt and said, the UFO is back. Men at the Woodbridge base had seen more lights in the woods. Halt rushed to his quarters at Bentwaters, If something was afoot, he wanted to be the one to get to the bottom of it. As Halt changed into hiking clothes, he tried to think through what might be causing the strange glowing objects in the woods. Perhaps it was from a nearby traffic light or a cargo ship off the coast. By the time he arrived at the edge of the forest, it was after midnight on December 28th. Upon getting there, his troops reported that their floodlights were malfunctioning they would have to go into the forest blind. Undeterred, Halt organized a small team to come with him. They grabbed flashlights and Geiger counters and entered the woods. Halt ordered his group to fan out and find the lights. They swept the area, identifying landmarks and looking for any evidence of their mysterious visitors. Eventually, they got to Peniston's alleged landing site, the triangle of rabbit dens and burned trees. Using a Geiger counter, Staff Sergeant Monroe Nevels reported that there was an elevated radiation level near the area where the UFO supposedly landed. The holes that British police claimed were rabbit burrows had radiation levels at 0.1 millirentians, significantly higher than the surrounding area. Even though it was a comparatively minuscule amount of radiation, far smaller than even an X-ray, Neville still found the difference strange. He thought the increased radiation could have affected Jim Peniston's photographs. Radiation's effect on physical film is well known. 
A common way to measure how much radiation you've exposed your body to is to use a film badge dosimeter. This device is merely a strip of film inside a case. After someone exposes themselves to radioactivity, you can develop the film and estimate how much radiation their body has absorbed based on how distorted the picture is. Pictures themselves were often processed using small amounts of radiation. Therefore, Paniston's photographs could have been obscured if they were already slightly irradiated at the landing site. The impressions on the ground weren't the only irradiated objects in the clearing. Nearby trees also caused the Geiger counters to light up. However, the sides of the trees facing away from the rabbit burrows didn't have the same level of radiation as those facing inward. It was almost as if there had been something radioactive between the trees. From what Halt's team could see, they doubted the three depressions were rabbit burrows. Neville's claimed that the three holes had been impressioned using the same weight. Besides, the ground was frozen, making it incredibly difficult for rabbits to dig burrows. And it seemed doubly strange that these creatures would make their dens in a perfect triangle. Perplexed, the team took pictures of the burnt trees and documented their findings. As they gathered data, they heard the Montjac deer barking in the distance, just like Burroughs, Penniston, and Cobbinsog had reported from the night before. The servicemen felt perplexed by what they had seen, but so far, nothing they'd seen seemed to indicate extraterrestrial activity. But that was about to change. Light suddenly appeared through the trees. The men froze in their tracks. There was no denying. These lights were just like what the patrolman had described the previous morning. Holt ordered his men to turn off their flashlights. They stood together in the darkness and watched as the objects grew brighter. A red, sun-like glow pierced through the trees. It was flickering and pulsing. Squinting through the glare, Holt saw that pieces of the main light were breaking off and falling to earth. He later said it looked like it was dropping molten metal. Holt and his men watched in disbelief as the lights disappeared but the darkness didn't last long. Holt looked up and saw three glowing objects in the distance. Two of them were flying north, while the third hovered in the south. But Holt couldn't see past the glare to make out what they looked like. His team returned to Woodbridge. Holt tried to look closer at the flying lights using one of the base's powerful telescopes. Unfortunately, even with the aid of a strong lens, he could only discern that the dots in the north appeared to be elliptical. The flying object zipped about in the sky in sharp, angular motions. They occasionally shed red, green, and blue lights, just like the ones the three men had seen the previous morning. The two glowing vehicles in the north remained visible for about an hour before vanishing. The one in the south stayed in place for two or three hours, zipping around and occasionally shining beams toward the Woodbridge base. Eventually, it too disappeared. In addition to Hulk's team, more than 20 U.S. Air Force servicemen reportedly witnessed the lights in the sky on the 28th. And according to people there at the time, somebody even filmed it, 
But the most compelling piece of evidence was from Holt himself, since he had documented the encounter on his personal tape recorder. The next day, Holt brought the cassette to Colonel Williams. He played the audio for his superior. It was 18 minutes long and featured Holt's description of what he saw in real time. The first 14 minutes of the tape documents the team as they gather data. In the final few minutes, we can hear as they witness the lights reappearing above the trees. Halt said, it's coming this way. It looks like an eye winking at you. He's coming towards us now. Now we're observing what appears to be a beam coming down to the ground. One object still hovering over Woodbridge base. Despite this compelling piece of evidence, Williams himself remained unconvinced. Still, he passed Halt's report along to his superiors at the United States Department of Defense and the British Ministry of Defense. Though the two sightings were over, tension was high at both bases. The rumors were more active than ever, especially since every attempt to discover the mysterious light source had failed. Still, the strangest events were yet to come. Coming up, a patrol witnesses an encounter with extraterrestrials. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams, so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And now, back to the story. In the early morning hours of December 28, 1980, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt investigated the claims of three U.S. servicemen who had seen mysterious lights shining through the trees. Rather than disproving their account, Halt and his team witnessed the exact same phenomenon. However, that very same night, Other airmen had a much more frightening experience in another part of the forest. Around 11 p.m. on December 27th, a group of U.S. soldiers drove their jeep into the forest for a routine patrol. The team included Sergeant Adrian Bustinza and novice airman Larry Warren. When they entered Rendlesham, they immediately saw Halt's team patrolling with Geiger counters. The soldiers in the jeep shrugged off this strange sight, They were just trying to get their rounds over with. So they exited their vehicle and began their route. Out of nowhere, a red light appeared in the distance, swooping down from the east. The basketball-sized object sped towards them, glowing brighter as it flew. Eventually, it stopped in front of Warren and Bustinza, hovering about 20 feet off the ground. Then it exploded. 
Out of the silent blast of light and heat, a mysterious craft emerged. But unlike the black box with legs that Penniston had witnessed one day before, this flying machine was incredibly difficult to see. According to Warren, if he looked directly at it, he couldn't make out its shape at all. Warren was only able to perceive it by looking through his peripheral vision. Though it was clearly some sort of vehicle, it had no windows, no hatches, and no doors. The head of the patrol shouted at the others to withdraw and move away from the unknown vessel. Warren and Bustinza followed this command and retreated into the forest, but they kept their eyes on the ship. From far away, they claimed to have seen something completely unexpected. First contact. In an instant, three beings seemed to have emerged from the UFO. Warren described them as being two-legged, standing like a human. They also possessed some of the same features as people, like eyes and hands. But their skin was semi-translucent, like the craft they came in. Warren also claimed they were wearing bright clothing. One of the beings was carrying some sort of tool in its hand, perhaps a weapon. However, Warren and Bustinza were too far away to make out any more details. Then the encounter grew even more bizarre. Warren and Bustinza saw a high-ranking officer emerge from the woods. Warren said it was their commanding officer, Colonel Williams, whereas Bustinza claimed it was Lieutenant Colonel Holt. Either way, the man strode toward the unknown beings. Warren and Bustinza watched as the officers silently faced the extraterrestrials. It seemed as if they were staring each other down. Unfortunately, neither Warren nor Bustinza witnessed how this standoff ended, presumably because they were too far away to see. But at around 4.30 a.m., Warren returned to one of the twin bases. Bustinza stayed behind and watched the impossible ship leave. According to Bustinza, the translucent machine flew incredibly fast. It noiselessly shot into the sky at a 45-degree angle, producing a blast of cold air. If he had blinked, he would have missed its whole departure. Once the patrol returned to Bentwaters, Lieutenant Bruce England took Bustinza and Warren aside. He had been part of Halt's search party and was in the woods at the same time as them. England told Bustinza and Warren that they better not mention the strange event to anyone. Despite this clear warning, Larry Warren did just that. The next day, he brought his report to Colonel Williams himself. Williams laughed it off. He denied that he or Halt had been there at all. Warren was confused. He was sure he'd seen Williams in the forest that night. And now, Williams was denying it. He left the meeting disappointed, but no less confident. Warren was convinced he had witnessed Williams make alien contact. He hoped that if Williams wouldn't admit to it, someone else would believe his story. And even though England had warned him against it, Warren told the story to his fellow soldiers. Eventually, word of the incident reached the British Ministry of Defense. When it did, the government began to act suspiciously. Following both of these sightings, 
the Ministry of Defense requested that the Woodbridge and Bentwaters bases turn over every bit of evidence they had of the encounters. Holt's tape, the sworn statements, photographs, and any other reports. Supposedly, this was for analytical purposes. Each of the men involved, John Burroughs, Jim Penniston, Ed Cobbinsog, Adrian Bustinza, and Larry Warren, all wrote up their accounts to be reviewed by the British government. Lieutenant Colonel Charles Halt passed on his tape recording as part of the evidence. In addition to all the materials they submitted to the higher-ups, Halt also wrote a memorandum summarizing the case. The report vividly described the first two UFO sightings, the first one made by Penniston, Burroughs, and Cabinsog, and the later one made by Halt himself. He sent the memo to both the Ministry of Defense and his superiors in the United States Air Force. But Halt made no mention of Bustinza and Warren's claims that they saw a literal alien interact with either himself or Colonel Williams. Regardless, nothing seemed to come of the Ministry of Defense's investigation. They ruled that nothing reported in Rendlesham Forest in December 1980 had any defense significance. In other words, they determined the lights had neither posed a threat to the base nor had anything to do with their department. They simply left it at that, neither confirming or denying any alien or UFO involvement. For the next few years, the public paid no attention to Rendlesham due to a lack of press. Apart from those who witnessed the incident and a few other Army personnel, nobody knew anything strange had happened there. But that all changed in 1983. Though the UK Ministry of Defense kept everything under wraps, the United States government didn't. In 1983, the US released the HALT memo to the general public under the Freedom of Information Act. Once HALT's testimony was freely available, the Rendlesham Forest story exploded. In the UK, this news immediately made it to the front page with headlines like government confirmed UFO lands in Suffolk. Tabloids quickly began to refer to the sightings as Britain's Roswell. The UK government denied that any alien encounter had happened, but they couldn't stop people from forming their own narratives. UFO hunters and conspiracy theorists latched on and began to re-examine the evidence from Rendlesham. Many suspected that the Ministry of Defense was attempting to cover up a real alien encounter. They declared that many details from the Rendlesham incident provided clear evidence of tampering. The first issue was Penniston's and Neville's photographs. People started to believe that the distorted photos from these reels weren't the photographs that either had taken. Instead, somebody at the twin bases replaced their rolls of film with damaged ones to throw them off the scent. And these weren't the only instances of possible sabotage. Master Sergeant Ray Gulyas also went to the landing site the day after Peniston. He claims to have seen the alien craft and taken photos himself. These also came back obscured. The next missing piece of the puzzle was the video footage. According to witnesses at the scene, and according to Halt's audio tape descriptions, there had been someone with a camera recording the encounters. 
but nobody has ever produced any footage or identified the cameraman. Independent investigators and conspiracy theorists suspect that government officials got their hands on the videotape and destroyed it to cover up proof of a UFO. As the case has been re-examined and picked apart over the years, the Ministry of Defense remained consistent in their stance. Though they didn't comment on what actually happened those nights in Suffolk, they were adamant that no extraterrestrials or threats to British defense were involved. This position came under scrutiny in May 2001, when the ministry itself released over 150 previously classified documents about the case. Plenty of ufologists delved into this treasure trove of new information, but found nothing revelatory. Most of it was correspondence surrounding Halt's memo, which included dozens of letters answering inquiries from concerned citizens. However, the fact that the Rendlesham incident had generated so many documents was enough evidence for some. Many claim that the ministry wouldn't devote so many pages to an insignificant event. And it wasn't just ufologists and conspiracy theorists leveling these accusations. Even the UK's former Chief of Defence Staff, Lord Peter Hill Norton, suspected something else was going on. Lord Hill Norton claimed that either the US airmen saw something strange or they were hallucinating. He reasoned that either way, something had gone wrong at a major strategic military location. Therefore, the case in itself disproved the Ministry of Defense's statement that this event was of no defense interest to Britain. Yet, despite high-profile criticism, the Ministry of Defense's position remained unchanged. Still, over the subsequent decades, many people have tried to capitalize on the rumors surrounding the incident, including the witnesses themselves. Larry Warren, who claimed he saw aliens at Rendlesham, co-wrote a book about his memories in 1997. However, many people suggested that Warren was sensationalizing the encounter and inventing his stories. Even unrelated journalists took interest. Nick Pope, a UFO specialist and former Ministry of Defense employee, wrote an account of the nights in question. He co-authored this book with John Burroughs and Jim Penniston. Penniston, Burroughs, Warren, and Halt also recorded countless interviews about their experiences. As UFO study became more popular, disturbing rumors about Rendlesham started to pile up, and more reports trickled out of the twin bases. One said that the U.S. government had sent men in suits to cover up the incident. Another told of secret interrogations and alleged that the government destroyed evidence. In light of this information, three theories emerged to explain what happened at Rendlesham. The first was that the lights had a perfectly explicable source. They were from a nearby police car or a lighthouse. The second was that there really was an otherworldly craft at Rendlesham and the UK and US governments suppressed evidence for their own ends. And the third claimed that while the base had visitors, they weren't aliens at all. Instead, there were something both stranger and more familiar, time-traveling humans from the future. 
After hundreds of independent investigations and contradicting witness testimonies, finding the truth about the Rendlesham Forest incident has become incredibly complicated. No one knows who to trust or who was pursuing what agenda. While on the ground, the case seems a hopeless, tangled mess, perhaps we can solve it by looking to the stars. Next time, we'll examine the possible explanations for the Rendlesham Forest incident. Were the mysterious lights explicable scientific phenomena? Or did they come from extraterrestrials, which the government was keen to cover up? Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back on Thursday with part two of the Rendlesham Forest incident. For more information on one of the most well-documented UFO sightings in history, amongst the many sources we used, we found the Sci-Fi Channel documentary UFO Invasion at Rendlesham extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Matthew Teamstra, with writing assistance by Ali Wicker, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hang a horseshoe above your door, keep a rabbit's foot in your pocket, and follow Superstitions free on Spotify. Listen every Wednesday for the surprising backstories to our most curious beliefs and thrilling tales that illuminate the mystical eeriness of our favorite superstitions. Superstitions.